0: love your work do you think it's possible well you're about to find out it's time for 48 days to the work you love with dan miller on the 48 days online radio show whether you need a professional tune up or a work overhaul this is the program for you now here's your host dan miller well we're going to be taking care of business today like we do every week here this is dan miller your host for the next 48 minutes we're going to be going through questions you as the listeners have submitted Real-life questions. These are not things made up and contrived or some theory or empty concept. These are real-life questions that you all are struggling with, and we're going to go through them together to figure out how we can do this thing called life more effectively. This is where we work, love, laugh, and play in such a way that people looking in from the outside can't tell which we're doing. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be dealing with this week today. Dan, how can I ask for more money when I get a new job offer? Can I use quotations or proverbs without anyone's permission in my own writing? What's your opinion on paying a one-time fee for an affiliate program for a financial services business? How can I transition into selling celebre ducks full-time in Mexico? Yeah, we'll come back to that one. I'll explain what that means. Dan, I'm 51, been with the same company for 30 years. I've never liked my job. When should I retire? How's today sound? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack some of the questions from uh, that particular questionnaire. Dan, what is the turnover rate for your independent contractor positions? Yeah, we'll talk about that. As you know, I'm a pretty open book, not much held back here, pretty transparent. We just had a bunch of people here. For our Coaching with Excellence live event. Wonderful, wonderful group of people as they always seem to be. You know, there's just something. I probably ought to comment on that. There seems to be a self-screening process. In that you know, we, we hear from lots of people who are at a lot of different positions and hear a lot of people whining, complaining about the economy and so on. But you know, people who show up here for live events, there really is a screening process. Those are obviously people who are willing to accept personal responsibility. They're willing to take action, invest their own time, energy, and money in a process to help them experience higher levels of success. And just those factors alone are a screening process. So we We have the most wonderful people who show up. But if you think about that, I mean, it is a screening process. I don't have to ask, you know, are you somebody who accepts personal responsibility? Are you somebody who, you know, takes the initiative, creates a plan of action and makes it happen? Are you somebody who's disciplined enough to get out of the regular mundane activities of a daily life and do something different. I mean, just by virtue of showing up here, those people have already done all those things, proved their answers to all of those. So it's a wonderful process to meet with people here and to spend a couple of days going through, you know, how are you going to really crank this thing up? You know, if we know that, most, that 95% of coaches, authors, athletes, actors, I mean, we could put a whole lot of people in there. 95% never make more than $40,000 a year. Well, what do you have to do to break out of that? Put yourself into the 5% and rock and roll. But it's always a a cool process to meet people here. Well, here's a quotation for this week. Comes from St. Augustine who said, Faith is believing in that in which you have not seen. The reward of faith is seeing that in which you believed. You know, too often I hear people say, well, you know, I've got to see it to believe it. You know, show me the evidence first. You know, they stand in front of the wood stove of life and say, give me heat, and then next year I'll put in some wood. Or, you know, Lord, give me a big harvest of corn. Next year I'll actually plant some seed and fertilize it. Well, life just doesn't work that way. And sometimes we've got to believe something before we can see it. You know, there have been many times in my life where, I have believed something would happen even before I could see it or perhaps even before I had a plan to how it was going to happen. But if I believed it enough, then the how-to starts to come into view. Well, I have spent a couple of days kind of uh, unwinding here, which is typical for me after we have a live event where it's um, really emotionally draining. Plus, we've had some people at our house for a couple of weeks dealing with uh, surgery, a delicate surgery process on their little 10 year old at Vanderbilt University. So anyway, the combination of things had me pretty well emotionally drained. So I spent a couple weeks or a couple days this week, uh, just kind of unwinding. I love to get out on my little John Deere tractor or uh, doing some new landscaping based on the ideas that have been submitted by you, the readers and listeners about how to landscape around Aristotle. The cedar tree carving of an eagle. So, I've been using some of those ideas. We had wonderful ideas submitted, and I think at this point we've awarded prizes to all those that we promised. And um, now I'm in the active phase of doing the landscaping. And people ask me, Well, aren't you just going to have somebody come in and do that? No. Uh, they miss the fact that I enjoy doing that, getting out there, pushing dirt around, moving plants, you know, planting trees, watering, fertilizing. I enjoy that. I mean, that's something I don't want to just farm out. Now, there are a lot of things that I don't do well in business and that I do have independent contractors, other people that take care of those things so I can stay focused on what I do best but I never want to make it appear that having identified what it is that I do best and what I most enjoy doing that. I just spend you know, 80 hours a week doing that to the exclusion of everything else. There are a lot of things that I integrate into a week's activities that don't have anything to do directly with creating profits or building a business. So when I get out of my tractor, it's not that I think that's a good use of my time rather than paying somebody 10 bucks an hour to do that. It's because it's a real cathartic experience for me. It re-energizes me, it restores me from other parts of my business. So I do that, but having a great time doing that, you'll have to come by and see the finished results, which won't happen overnight. It's something that I already envisioned what I'm going to do at the end of the season this year and at the beginning of the growing season next year and what it'll be like three years from now. Those are things that I, I, Enjoy the process. You know, Cervantes said the road is better than the inn. Meaning sometimes it's the journey that gives us the most enjoyment. I mean, think about kids getting ready for Christmas. I mean, they'll spend a month, you know, going through catalogs and walking through stores and writing letters to Santa Claus and just all the exciting things leading up to, you know, Christmas morning, man, 10 minutes, it's over. They ripped everything open, not that super excited about anything they got. You know, the the anticipation provides more excitement than the accomplishment. Many things that I do in life, I view in the same way and would encourage you to do that. Uh, Don't get too enamored with just finishing the process. If you're in a process of education, enjoy every day as a new opportunity for learning. Don't just think this is all wasted time until they hand me that piece of paper when I walk across the stage. No, that'll sabotage the real value you ought to be getting out of an education. Building a business is the same way or anything else, you know, taking a trip. I, I used to and I hear about husbands who surprise their wives where they come home on a Friday night and they say, I've got your bag all packed. Just get in the car. You know, we're going somewhere and they whisk them off to a a romantic getaway or a cruise. I don't do that with Joanne. Now, part of that just is the makeup of Joanne, I suppose. But again, she loves the anticipation. So if we're going to go on a cruise, you know, she knows about it the day I book it. If it's nine months in advance, if we're going to go on a trip somewhere, she enjoys the anticipation, the time building up to that. Don't sabotage the things that you do, even in your own business or personal life, by thinking that it's just getting it done that matters even when it comes to landscaping i mean i cringe when i see somebody build a house and boom they spend thirty thousand dollars on landscaping and it looks perfect the day they move in now a year later it looks overgrown the way most landscapers do it and you have to start thinking about replacing but i like the slow process of making things look beautiful around our house well anyway hey i don't know why i went down that rabbit trail but i did I want to touch on just another thing because we deal with so many people who are writing books and often when somebody writes a book they kind of put all their time and energy into that particular outcome boom they they write the book and in the same way here they think okay now I'm finished everything I've got is there I'm going to hold this close to my chest until somebody pays me $20 and then I'll give them a copy of that well I view it much differently. I mean, I view my books as simply a fancy business card to introduce people to all the other things that we're doing. So it really is that. So we give away a lot of books. And if they're sold, you know, through my publishers, you know, I may get 80 cents or something when a book is sold. So it's not going to change my financial portfolio a great deal. But that book is an introduction. That person where I got 80 cents on the purchase of their book, that person is then going to read me talking about how to increase your own success. Why don't you uh, read good books? And if you want to know what I suggest, boom, they go to my reading list. People click through and as they select other books, I get commissions from Amazon on those. They may hear me talk about 48days.net, our social networking group. And so they get involved there. Boom, Then they see me promote events that we've got coming up or coaching events. we have going on and so they get introduced to all the things that we're doing at 48 days the book is just the tip of the iceberg now here's an example of that i read about this just this week in wired magazine cars the movie cars you know it came out in 2006 now at the box office the movie cars made what they say is a respectable $462 million in worldwide box office receipts. Okay, get that number in your mind. Cars, $462 million. You want to know how much they have taken in in ancillary merchandise? You know, little model cars, pillows, sheets, mugs, cups, hats, shirts, all those things. $8 billion dollars. Again, the movie made 462. So we're talking there have been 16 times more money made from the ancillary products than from the original movie. I mean, that's how we need to look at some of these things. And a lot of times people overlook the wealth of opportunity that they have created by having a product think that's the the end all when in fact it's just the tip of the iceberg, Boy, I want you to see it in that way. It's an exciting process to move through. If you write a book, yeah, you know, that should be the initiation. Then of doing personal coaching, perhaps, or workshops and tele seminars, uh, live seminars, live events that you do. You know, you may have your own line of, you know, shirts, hats, mugs, T-shirts that are offshoots of the content that you're creating. But look at those opportunities. I mean, I I love the Arrangements that I have with publishers because the publishers do a great job of adding to the marketing exposure. That I have, but that original agreement and what I get in advances and royalties is peanuts compared to the back end products and services that we create to go along with any book title. Now, again, it doesn't matter if you're not an author, but there's probably something that you're doing that has the same potential, and I would encourage you to look for it in the same way. Let me run through. We've got some technical things here, and I want to just give you a sense of how we respond to those Um, Ron says, Dan, for some reason, I'm not receiving access to your most recent podcast with your weekly newsletter. I enjoy and look forward to to both every week. Are you taking a break from podcast? Somebody else said, Rose said, Dan, where's the May 13th podcast? I hope all is well. Did I miss something? Are you running out of questions? Are you out helping neighbors with all the terrible flood and tornado damage? I'm just being curious. We need your words of wisdom every week. Uh, Somebody else says... Well, in response to those, I saw a note that Ashley sent back to Ron, who asked about not receiving the podcast. She said, for some reason, the Safari browser was not picking up the latest updates to the podcast. So, no, it wasn't your, Dan. It was a specific browser issue. For the record, Dan never misses a week, so please let us know if you aren't seeing one. Uh, Somebody else says, Dan, I just started using Stitcher.com to listen to podcasts. I wouldn't love it if your podcast was on there. I sent Stitcher a request, but you might look into it. I think it's free, but I'm not sure. Thanks for your podcast. It's full of great information. Now these are these are technical issues. And and just for the record, I started doing a newsletter in August of two thousand. A weekly newsletter. I have never missed a week. Now that's unusual for somebody that's not detail-oriented like I, but I just put it on my schedule so that it's going out every single week, never missed a week. When I started doing a podcast, and when we switched from radio to podcast, where I do it once a week, and that was about four years ago, I've never missed a week. I've done it every single week. So if I'm doing something as part of my business, it's going to get done. So if you're not receiving it, yeah, it's legitimate to ask, why am I... Not getting it. But I don't just do it if the wind blows in the right direction or if I just feel like it that particular week. I make sure that it's consistent. I started blogging every day, Monday through Friday at the first of this year. It's now the end of May. I've never missed the Monday through Friday. Blog every day. That's something that I'm trying out. I'm not sure that I'll continue doing that forever. But if I discontinue that, I'll let you know and I'll go to a new, new plan. But when I decide to do those things, especially if you are in an information business as I am, then I think you need to be consistent. And I've talked about people like Pierce Mars, who uh, when he was kind of sticking his toe in the water, thinking about a blogging or doing a podcast, I said, well, you know, if you're going to do it, decide how often you're going to do it, which he does. He does once a week. And I said, do it every single week. Don't do it for three weeks and say it didn't work. Decide in advance you're going to do it for a year. Just don't look back. Well, that's exactly what he did. And then when he had 52 of them in the can, all of a sudden, gee, people were stopping him on the street saying, wow, I get your message every week. Gee, can you come speak to our civic group? Hey, we need you to come do this training. All of a sudden, he started to see an avalanche of opportunities produced at the back end of having done that consistently for a week. So I think that's the way it ought to be when you start something new in business, do it for a year before you ever look back. But no, we are, I'm not taking a break. Yes, we have been helping neighbors with a tornado and flood damage. A lot of things happen this time of year, but uh, I have not taken a break from the things that are integral parts of our business at all. Now here's, I'll just give a quick recap. David had sent me a note, about not getting job offers. He had sent out resumes and so on and never heard anything back. And I said, don't wait for people to respond to you. You do the follow up. Well, he did that. He followed up. And sure enough, one of the companies that he really wanted an opportunity with said, oh, yeah, come on in. Well, it was like, uh, yeah, you're just on the list. But he's pretty confident that his note to them initiated their calling him in for an interview which is exactly how it ought to work then he he did he was going to have an interview and he asked me um should i when should i show up should i show up 15 minutes ahead of time or is that too early i want to appear prompt but not anxious and i said don't show up for the interview early at all show up at the building 15 minutes in advance so you can be calm and collected you know exactly where you need to go but don't go in till right at the appointed time he said i did exactly as you said and then i also followed up with a thank you note as you said after the interview i received the job offer this morning thanks for all you do well how cool is that i mean that's exactly the way that it ought to work you know getting a job in today's economy in the recession is still just a very clear process if you do the steps you don't have to wait on good fortune or luck or the stars to align or whatever it is you think that magically produces good results in your life. No, it's a process. And if you do the steps correctly, you're going to get the same results that David did. And congratulations, Dave, on that. OK, here comes a, a question from Akita, Akita, Akita Patel, probably in Indian derivative name. But anyway, Kate, I appreciate your question. How can I debate for more money when I get a new job offer? In chapter nine of 48 Days to the Work You Love, that chapter is titled Show Me the Money. So I'm going to draw a couple points from there. How do you ask for more money when you get a job offer? Well, here are some quick principles that will kind of guide you in that. You don't discuss salary or compensation until... You know what the job requires. They have decided they want you and you've decided you want them. Okay, let me let me repeat that. I mean, those are three critical things. You don't discuss salary until you know exactly what the job requires. They have decided they want you and you've decided you want them. If you discuss salary before any of those things are in place you'll shoot yourself in the foot every time it's too early you don't have enough information and you're not in a good position to discuss compensation the responsibilities of the job determine the salary not your education your experience or your previous salary so again you you ought to know those things but those don't determine how much money you're going to get so if they offer you fifty thousand dollars and gee you've got a phd uh you've got a lot of experience and you were used to making sixty five thousand those things don't have any bearing on it the fact that you made sixty five thousand dollars previously doesn't mean that you ought to make seventy in this job if the job does not deserve that compensation so your compensation depends on your level of responsibility and contribution none of those other things are really important now, you recognize there are a lot of things that fall under the title of compensation. So you may discuss having a company car, or having your life insurance taken care of, or a country club membership, or medical care, profit sharing. I mean, an expense account. You may negotiate having four weeks off instead of two weeks off, which is really common these days. I mean, there's all kinds of things, attendance at workshops and seminars. Those are all things that are part of compensation. So you can discuss those as you are discussing your compensation. So those are all legitimate things, and those come typically after they have made you an offer. So you don't just go in and say, I need to have 70,000 bucks. I hope you guys can pay me that for this measly job that you've got available here. No, it just doesn't work that way. So you interview, you go through the process. They decide they want you. You're clear on what the job requires. And you, in fact, do know that you would like to work there. Then they make you an offer and it ought to come from them. Then you are in a position to begin negotiating what your compensation will be. So don't think that when a company makes you an offer, that's it, that's all there is, no more. No, and don't think that by asking for more or for additional benefits that you're rocking the boat, you're going to knock yourself out of contention for that position. If they've gone through all the effort to narrow down with multiple interviewees and they've selected you, you coming back and saying, "Well, I know you offered me 55,000, but I would see that more in the $65,000 range. Is that still within your budget?" That's a very legitimate response. And any company that knows what they're doing is not going to offer initially the maximum that they have available to pay. I mean, it just makes sense. In the same way as a car dealer isn't going to come out and say, "Well, we want 10,000 for this car, but if you really, you know, negotiate hard, you'll you, you'll be able to buy it for 8." Well, they aren't going to do that. You got to go through the steps to get to the eight. And in the same way, in a job, you have to go through the steps, know how to negotiate so that you get the maximum that really is reasonable for that position. So, you know, get you get the idea. You, you can make this a fun process. Now, I know that negotiating is not comfortable for some of you. I mean, Joanne hates going to Tijuana, Mexico. And, you know, when I start bargaining for the turquoise necklace that she wants you know she's a little intimidated by that process i had i had a situation this week where we have a a beautiful water feature in front of our house and during the winter i let it run when i should have unplugged it it iced up and burned the pump out it melted the skimmer basket just did some major damage well i wanted the same guy who installed it to come out here and repair it and I've been after him for over two months to come out here. Just a just a really uh, unbelievable process where, you know, I'm scratching my head. You know, why is this guy not coming out here? I mean, we're friends. I mean, and I, it was just really hard work getting him out here. Well, he came out here on Saturday. It was not a big deal. He dug down, got the thing out, got a new one, put it in, installed the whole thing. Everything looked like it was working perfectly, except we still then had to fill the entire water feature in multiple sections and turn it on to see that it worked. Well, it was going to take like eight hours to do that. And he whips out the bill and he says, well, you know, which of you wants to write the check. And I said, uh, Terry, no problem at all. That looks reasonable. Well, within the range of what I expected, tell you what, I'm going to fill this with water overnight, turn it on, make sure that everything's working. When I see that everything's working, I'll cut you the check. He said, okay, that's reasonable fine. Well, when he left, you know, Joanne said, Oh my gosh, it made me uncomfortable when you did that. And I said, well, honey, you have to realize, I mean, I had a hard time getting this guy out here. I mean, the bottom line is we want this thing to work. That was very reasonable for me to say, I will pay you after I see the whole thing in operation. But for her, even that was uncomfortable. You need to develop your skills at negotiating. If you're going to be paid what you're worth." in a particular opportunity. So experiment with how that should be done. Uh, keep in mind, you, know, you have to make the company money. As a rule of thumb, you must make the company three to five times your salary for hiring you to make sense. Again, your compensation always relates to your level of responsibility. If you're easy to replace, then you aren't going to be worth a whole lot. And you know, the few salaries are written in concrete. Again, everything is negotiable. Now, if you go to work for this, the state or the government in some form, they may have rankings where you're a clerk typist, two, and it pays twenty eight thousand seven hundred and thirty six dollars. There may not be much negotiating room in a position like that. But hopefully you're looking beyond those kind of stagnant responsibilities and positions anyway. And most companies are going to have a whole lot of wiggle room in. In what they are able to pay great question well Andrea says Dan I had a light bulb moment about a really great idea my question is my idea revolves around two quotations which I think are proverbs can these be used without anyone's permission one of the quotes is the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence interesting question I think it's always good to check where something came from originally and, and try to give credit to that original source. Now, with what you've got here, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Um, we know what that means. That, that's why, you know, Bob keeps changing jobs. Because every time he gets one, he realizes, oh, wow, it'd be better to get that one over there. And he changes. Now, that particular expression goes back, seems to be an ancient proverb cited by Erasmus back in the 15th century. But it's been used many, many times over and over and over and over again, obviously. (sighs) most proverbs are very old and their origin really is lost over time i mean when we hear something you know when we hear something like cleanliness is next to godliness where did that come from now some people unfortunately think that's in the bible and it's it's certainly not it is just a proverb and it appeared way back in antiquity as well and then was used by people like john wesley when he wrote about theology so a lot of people think well that must be in the bible but but it's not it's just kind of a proverb that just came along and most of those it's hard to know who said it originally one time when i was on the radio i i had, had a little contest. I said, tell me who said, find a job you love and you'll never go to work again. Well, we had all kinds of people guessed, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Edison, and so on. Well, the interesting thing is there are three people to whom that quotation are attributed. Find a job you love and you never go to work again. We find that where the author is Confucius, where it's J.C. Penny or where it's Henry Ford, just that one alone. So we, we find the same quotation attributed to multiple people. For the most part, anything like that, you have free reign to use that. Even if you base your business around it, you can just go ahead and do that. You know, there, there are a lot of proverbs where the reverse is also a proverb. Can let me think of something here. Well, here, here's one like this. Look before you leap. I mean, we hear that a lot. That's good advice. You know, don't just be rash to make a decision. But then we also have he who hesitates is lost, which is exactly the opposite. So are Proverbs always true? Are they always really wisdom? No, not at all. Sometimes they're ridiculous. I mean, if you've heard me talk on here a lot about winners never quit. Quitters never win. And then we had Seth Godin, who a couple years ago wrote the book, The Dip, and he trashed that little proverb. Winners never quit. Quitters never win. No, that's not true. Winners quit. They quit often. They quit quickly. When something isn't working, they don't just keep beating their head against the wall. And yet we hear the other proverbs about, you know, there's nothing like persistence. Nothing else matters but persistence. No, persistence, if you're heading in the wrong direction, is ridiculous. It's stupid. Stop doing that. Do something else. So, you know, I mean, I, then you would go on, you know, proverbs that are just the little uh, cutesy kind of things. You know, you never know where you are until you get there. Well, what the heck does that mean? Or your mind is like a parachute, it only works when it's open. Okay, that's really rocket science um we get into the little chinese proverbs man who run behind car get exhausted or man with one chopstick go hungry or man who stand on toilet is high on pot you know proverbs take them for what they're worth but if you want to use them absolutely have fun with it go use them and uh days i'm not sure how you want to use them but i kind of got carried away there but you don't need to be too obsessed with finding who to give credit to i use quotations and proverbs liberally in my writing and I usually do have somebody's name attached to that so if I use in there find a job you love and never go to work again and if I want to use JC Penny I don't worry about the fact that a couple other people also are quoted as having said that and if something I can't readily find who said a particular thing I just go ahead and put it in there even if I just say anonymous or author unknown no big deal. So yeah, use them as it relates to the work that you want to do. And as it helps you, if you want to put it on the wall, frame it as a saying, I've got lots of those around here. I mean, I don't consider those infallible or written concrete, but if it's something that inspires you, then by all means, you know, do that. I've got one here on my wall that Somebody gave me and it is anonymous. It says, please help. Oh, I got to move a little bit so I can see it. Please help me not to be so busy making a living. I forget to make a life. Golly, how cool is that? Please help me be not be so busy making a living. I forget to make a life. I don't know who said that. It, it's in like a needlework that somebody gave me. And it had, doesn't have any author that where it has, you know, listed who said that at all. You can make up your own quotes. It tickles me how often I see quotations from me where somebody just simply took a little phrase out of a book that I've written or saw something from me. And, you know, here's a quotation from Dan Miller. Sometimes I was reading recently in success magazine down at the bottom of page last month's issue. I think it had Halle Berry at the top talking about her and down at the bottom, it says, you know, success is not an accident begins with the imagination, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, man, that sounds familiar. Well, it says, according to Dan Miller, it, w- it was in there. And I thought, well, how cool is that? Somebody found a little snippet of something that I wrote and put it in there. So have fun with quotations. They can guide us. But don't think that these little proverbs are written in stone. Sometimes the reverse is also true. Javier. From California says, Dan, what is your opinion on paying a one-time fee for an affiliate program for a financial services business where they provide mortgage loans, construction loans, SBA loans, debt consolidation, and so on? It's not a franchise. You just become a, an affiliate with the company. They provide you with training and software. Your thoughts are appreciated. Well, Javier, I, I think that sounds fine. I mean, it's very legitimate kind of business opportunity where it's not really a franchise. A franchise you pay a fee and then you pay an ongoing royalty for any business that you generate. So if you have a, a Wendy's or a Subway or Chem Dry Carpet Cleaning, you know, Liberty Tax Services, those are all franchises. You're this is not what this financial services business is. But what you're in essence doing is buying a business opportunity where you pay to become an affiliate. You perhaps can use their name. I mean, we have people who use the forty eight days Name As they're doing seminars, they do seminars. That would be an example. That's not a franchise. People don't pay a franchise fee. We don't even require that they go through a training program with us, although a lot of those people who want to lead that seminar come through our Coaching with Excellence program because we do address it in there. But those people then go back. They don't owe us any kind of an ongoing fee. They don't owe us uh, licensing fees. They simply purchase product from us, which is what we want. So you're somewhere in between that with what you're describing, but it sounds totally legitimate. If you like what it is they offer and you think it has good value and I give you a jump start to what you want to do, absolutely do it and move forward. Have fun. Well, Ricardo from Chihuahua, Mexico, you know, Chihuahua, Mexico. I don't know that I really realized there was a city named Chihuahua. But it's just like the little annoying dog here. Chihuahua, Mexico. Ricardo says, Dan, I want to sell celebra ducks in Mexico. I live all over the U.S. but want to go back to Mexico. How can I establish a business model to keep my job for some six months and generate enough income to do this full time? The owner of Ducks is very excited. How much should I ask of him? Now, Ducks. I did not know what it was, but I just looked it up, CelebraDucks.com, and it's little ducks that look like famous people. I mean, you've got Shakespeare, Pink Panther, Popeye, the Blues Brothers, Mr. T., felix the cat james brown larry the cable guy i mean they've got a long list of people who they have morphed into these little rubber ducks i think you can also get them in chocolate if you want to so they're just these little novelty items i'm sure there are licensing fees involved because these are using celebrities and sports figures and so on and uh, ricardo you want to sell those I mean, that that's cool. Now, what you're talking about, how can you create a business model to keep your job for six months and generate enough income from this to do it full-time? Man, just get out there and start doing what needs to be done with this without sabotaging your current job. Again, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of room to do innovative things that start businesses and generate income aside from a traditional job. I mean, just think about it. If you work 40 hours a week, We have 168 hours a week. So you got a whole lot of time left over. You got 128 hours left over even after working full time. So you start to determine how am I going to invest that time? Now, I saw some stats just this week. I'm going to blog about it next week, but just this week. But the average American watches 34.5 hours of TV a week. Uh, you got to be kidding me. In this day and time, when we have people, that's not counting time you know, on the internet and doing other things, 34.5 hours a week is the average for Americans watching TV. Well, it's pretty easy for me to extrapolate from that. You know, people ask me, how can I turn out a new product every month? How can I write the quantity that I do, you know, do the things that I do speaking and so on. I thought, you know, I used to think, well, geez, I must be, you know, smarter than the average bear. Holy smokes. If the average person's watching 34 and a half hours of TV a week, I'm probably not any smarter. I just have 34 hours a week more I can use doing something productive than the average person does. So if you want to develop a business like this, use those 34 hours a week that the average Joe Schmo out here is watching TV to develop your business. Keep your job in place just exactly as it is now. And trust me, if you spend 34 hours a week For a six-month period of time, you ought to have a full-blown business that has blown past duplicating the income that you're making now. Now, I say that with some caveats. Obviously, this has to be a business that really is going to work for you. Just having Celebrity Ducks agree to make you a distributor doesn't mean it's going to be a good business model. I mean, I, I saw there that their minimum wholesale order is 24 ducks. And then their master cases hold 48 ducks. I mean, what should you ask of the owner of Celebrity Ducks? Really nothing. All you need from him is just the agreement that you can um, purchase product from him. You need to create your own marketing plan. So are you going to go to stores in Mexico to have street vendors out there? Are you going to do online sales with, uh, you know, a Spanish uh, language used? Are you going to go to festivals? I mean, you determine what you're going to do make sure that you have reasonable margins to make your business idea work now those little ducks sell for 11.99 or 12 bucks retail traditional keystone markup means that you're going to double the cost so a store would buy those at six dollars and sell them at twelve dollars now you're going to be in between the manufacturer and the store can you buy those for less than $6 as a wholesale distributor so you can still sell them to stores for $6 and they sell them for 12 So you need to buy those for significantly less than $6 a piece. And they, for that, they may want particular quantities where you buy 500 at a time or something, or as the volume goes up, your cost goes down. But as an example, I, I don't have anything in our inventory where we don't have a where we aren't selling it for at least four to five times the cost. I want those kind of margins. So I'm not interested in buying books from publishers where we're at fifty percent off. So I pay ten dollars for a twenty dollar book. Well, surprise, surprise, Amazon's selling it for twelve dollars already. How can I have any margin if I have to compete against that? So I'm not really interested in that. So if I'm gonna have a $20 book, and I know Amazon's selling it for $12. I want to buy that for 2 or $3 max, ideally less than that. And I buy a lot of books out of Remainder, uh, which is what it's The terminology is in the book business where they're no longer being promoted by the publisher, but they're still good books that just maybe haven't been marketed well. So I want to buy a book for that retailed for fourteen ninety five and I've done this hundreds and hundreds of times. If it retails for fourteen ninety five, I want to buy that book for no more than a dollar and fifty cents. And then we sell it for eight dollars on our site, so it's discounted from the retail price fourteen ninety five down to eight dollars, but I've only paid a buck fifty. Those are the kind of margins I look for to make that work in having a good business model. And I encourage you in in what you're doing here, just make sure you get good margins. Just having their enthusiasm about having you sell them is fine. But make sure you've got margins so that you do have a reasonable business model. Tyrone says, is there anything wrong with wanting to start many businesses? I'd like to spend five years or so getting a business set up so it can run with minimal interference from me and then rinse and repeat They would not fall into any one single Venn diagram model. So it might be computer repair, landscaping, outdoor travel guide, and so on. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but it takes a little while. I mean, most businesses don't get up to full speed or capacity, you know, in a couple years. I mean, five years, yeah, that's reasonable. But if you start a business with the intention of selling it and it doesn't really ramp up, like you wish, or you can't really pull out because it's too identified with you personally. You know that kind of blows your model. I don't know that I would want to start business with the intention of just ramping them up and selling them. Now there's certainly people that do that. I mean, can but can you get maximum leverage by doing that? And when you talk about totally different kind of business focuses, I don't see people do real well with that kind of diversity. Usually a person who starts a business and sells it then goes back and starts another business. that's very closely related to that one because they're using that same expertise and they're leveraging that to do it faster and faster as they go along. Just questions to ask yourself if you can make it work. Hey, that's fine. I mean, I'm a change agent. I don't want to do anything, you know, over a long period of time. So I build change in, but I still do it under the same business umbrella. So there are some components of the business that are going to continue, even though others have been, you know, discarded along the way and we bring in new things in. I still do it under a continually moving forward business umbrella. Randall says, I've been, I'm 51. I've been with the same company for 30 years. I've never liked my job. My pension from work will never amount to enough to really retire. Question, when should I retire? Should I put in 11 more years to reach maximum benefit or get out soon with less money but more time to build another income. Okay, 51, same company, 30 years, never liked his job, pension is never going to be enough to retire on. When should you retire? You know, that kind of brings to mind an old song of mine. Take you might be familiar with this. Whoa! No more. Well, you probably didn't hear this in church, but I think it relates. Now, trust me, if you've been there for 30 years, I'm sure you are not an impulsive, reactionary kind of guy. You aren't going to do what I would do or what Johnny Paycheck indicates to do, and I know that. But I love the way that you framed your question. Should you get out soon with less retirement money but more time to build another income? You've already said your pension is not going to be enough to really retire anyway. My goodness, I would say absolutely. Why not get out now and have the time? You're 51 years old. I mean, a lot of times I tell, especially men, tell me, I don't care what you've done. You know, do whatever you want to do for the first 50 years. If we can at that point sit down and take a fresh look at who you are, why you're here, what your unique talents are, we can frame the opportunity to move forward into the most productive 20 years of your life. And I see that played out all the time. So 51 is not old at all. But it's certainly too young to just stick it out for 11 more years in a job that you don't enjoy anyway. Don't do that. I mean, there are too many other things you're going to see as precipitating factors because of that. If you're in a job that you don't really love and you know you're just putting in another 11 years, so you max out the retirement or have a fully vested you know, 401k program, whatever it happens to be, that is too high a price to pay. That's the, the perfect scenario for starting to experience migraines, backaches, other kinds of maladies that I hate to even verbalize. Don't do that. Yeah, get out now and do something that will give you an opportunity to really do something you love and increase the income significantly. But, and here's the but, a big but, don't leave until you have created a clear plan for what that is going to be. Get clear on what you're going to, not just what you're going from. Okay, it's really easy to see what you're going from, and people focus on that a lot, and they're just, you know, take this job and shove it, I'm out of here, because all they're doing is looking at what they're going from. And then all of a sudden, they're stuck, and they make decisions based on desperation. Take the luxury of being employed now, the fact that you have been there a long time, So take 30 days and get really clear on what you would move to, whether that is going to be another job or whether it's going to be something you do on your own. Just get clear on what the transitioning to is, then give your notice, make that break and go into a more fulfilling and more financially rewarding season in your life. Well, hey, one more question quick. Dan was wondering if you have experienced any turnover rates for your contract positions. I know you've said you had no employees. So I was wondering in some positions, do they leave because they have the need for medical benefits? Do you get any resentment or questions about providing health insurance? I'm kind of perplexed because I would think that if I'm doing business with someone and I value them, I would feel kind of obligated to try to provide some health insurance for that individual. I would feel awful if something happened to them and they didn't have insurance. I thought that's how you keep a good employee, you give them benefits. Well, no, it's not really. It it really isn't. I, for the most part, the independent contractors that I have work on projects. You know, I don't even structure it like they're an employee. They don't have to show up at eight o'clock, stay till five. I don't care if they come and go. They may have a project that takes three days or three months You know, so we've identified how they're going to be compensated for that. It's not framed like being an employee at all. People who are working on things for me, I don't even want to see them. I I love coming back here to the sanctuary and there's nobody around at all. And that's pretty common in between live events and big things that we're doing and so on, is there's nobody here at all. That's the way that I want it. They're just doing their thing. So it's not even framed like I'm the boss and they're somehow a, a servant of mine. No, I want them to see themselves in business for themselves just as much as I am. Well, if that's true, then why would I be responsible to provide medical insurance? I mean, you you start down that path. Am I responsible to provide lunch for them? Am I responsible to take them to Macy's and buy them clothes that they're going to wear? Am I responsible to get a car for them? I mean, there's there's no difference in any of those things. It's why would I be responsible because I'm providing an opportunity for their skills to be engaged and where, for which I'm going to compensate them. No, there's really no connection. So I've never had that discussion with independent contractors about insurance. They should take care of that themselves, and absolutely they should have that. It's irresponsible not to have that. But it has nothing to do with me, even if I am their major customer. Um, it, it's something that you do on your own. And obviously, we're moving toward the time rapidly when the, everybody is going to be expected to do to provide that for themselves. I mean, companies are not going to continue just riding that uncertain roller coaster about what medical care is going to cost. I mean, more and more companies are pulling out of that. More and more companies are structuring their work based on paying for results rather than time and thus tearing apart the old employee model we're rapidly moving toward that time when only 50% of the american workforce will be employees the rest are going to be some other kind of terminology independent contractors contingency workers temps entrepreneurs electronic immigrants whatever you want to call them so i mean we're we're going away from that no i don't feel any compulsion i mean even my own kids I mean, I don't provide insurance for them. They work for me because they have their own businesses and I'm perhaps their only client, major client. But again, that's it. I mean, I don't uh, provide babysitting for my grandkids so my kids can work for me. That's their issue because they're independent contractors. Now, I hope that doesn't sound, you know, just cold and aloof or uncaring, but it, it's just the new models of work. And it's very clear to me where we're going. And uh, some of those things have fallen by the wayside very clearly. Well, hey, Dan Miller here. I love this time with you each week. If you have questions, you can shoot them in to ask at 48 dayscom Or you can go to the podcast link on 48days.com and just submit your question in there. I do value you taking the time to submit questions that have value not only for you and a clarification, but for lots of other people as well. And I enjoy having you on this trip with us as we all are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable